You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Let's focus on Iowa. Let's beat Iowa. This is a, this is that kind of game for us. I mean, it's been a while since. I mean, I think it was my freshman, my redshirt freshman year since we beat them at their place. You know, it's a, <laughs> you know, it's it's Iowa. It's, it's my last my last senior day, last game. Uh, I want, you know, we want it bad. Yeah, yeah, it's a big game. It's an important game too. It's just like every game, but uh, yeah, I'm excited to to play in this one because I know how much it means to to everyone, and especially the guys that grew up here and have been experiencing this game for a long time. You know, I think it's a just a, a good opportunity, a good challenge, and I get to play another good, hard-nosed Big Ten team. So I'm I'm just looking forward to it. Uh, I mean, it's I mean, you know, it's the last, it's the last seal, it's the last stamp. You know, that win would mean everything. It's my last time playing in Memorial Stadium, and it, it sucks. But I mean. Uh, you got to go out there and try and get one, one more. And welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus. As it is Black Friday week for Nebraska as they play Iowa. And the narrative a lot different for this week than I think any of us could have ever predicted back in August when we kind of previewed the season. But the reality is Nebraska is not going to a bowl game for just the third time since 1968. Um, It's... Uh, a unique spot, and Mike Riley will probably be coaching his final game at Nebraska on Friday. And um, you, you start to like look at things, guys, in this week and what it's going to mean. And um, I have a lot of respect for Mike Riley and the level of professionalism that he's carried himself with um, through this entire process because it would be so easy for him to get up there and complain about course is firing and what that did to this season and Bill Moose's number of interviews and the comments and even talking about Scott Frost and things like that over the course of the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, but Mike Riley to a man has continued to be the constant professional. And I don't know if there's very many people that could continue to do that and not, um, you know, use some of the stuff out there as an excuse. Uh, but Mike Riley has done that. And um, I, I think everybody, in this in this state would like nothing more than to at least see him in this thing right with the win against Iowa. Yeah, you know, one of the things he said on Monday was, you know, all this negativity, all these, you know, excuses and the blame game, it's just not productive um, during the season. You know, he doesn't bring that stuff up with his players. Um, he focuses all his energy and time and effort to just trying to prepare his team to win a game. And obviously the results have not panned out. It's been a disaster of a season um, and really Probably couldn't get much worse, um, all things considered. But, uh, you know, he hasn't let that affect the way that not only he presents himself to the public, but the way that he presents to his team. And for a lot of impressionable players who could get caught up in the emotions of all this, having that rock to keep everything calm and steady, despite as, as tumultuous as things have been outside of the program, um, I think that's been extremely valuable in keeping this thing from, you know, totally falling apart, not only on the field, but off of it. Yeah, the thing I appreciate about Mike Riley is that he's been as advertised. I mean, he, he came in with a great reputation of being, um, you know, a great guy, a solid character, and, and someone who's who's genuine all the time. And generally, you know, when somebody comes into a new place and and you kind of you know what their reputation is, eventually their true colors kind of sh- come through, and and or they have certain instances where you know maybe they act out of character. And I don't. I can't recall one time where Mike Riley has not acted out of character. He's been he's been a, a total professional uh, from day one, and and has been completely genuine with pretty much everybody who's crossed paths with that guy since day one. So for that, uh, I mean, that's something that I'm gonna always kind of remember about him. 
You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washington, Nate Klaus. As we kind of set you up for things going into this week, and you know, I, I asked Mike Riley this on Monday, and you think about just what Iowa Week did to this program a year ago. Nebraska was nine and two going into the Iowa game. They had pretty impressive victories over Maryland and Minnesota, where they held both Maryland and Minnesota to two of their worst offensive games of the year. And then Tommy Armstrong hurt his hamstring on the final touchdown that beat Minnesota. And so much changed after that injury. It was the game-winning run. Um, but then, you know, Riker Fife started against Maryland, and they won that game convincingly. But then Riker Fife got hurt. And then everything going into Iowa was just off that day. They not only lost, they got blown out. Mike Riley fires Mark Banker, Bruce Reed. Brian Stewart got pushed out. So much changed after that game against Iowa, and I feel like that was the start of the downward spiral. You can say Ohio State was too, but to me that was the game that really opened up things, and they've never been able to recover. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot that came out of that game. Obviously, you know, it was kind of a disaster from the beginning uh, with Tommy Armstrong basically having a metal plank attached to his hamstring uh, to even walk, let alone play a football game. And then Riker Fife, a big old cast on his throwing hand, he wasn't going to play. And that left Zach Darlington as your emergency quarterback. So that in itself was uh, an extremely bad omen. And then on the other side of the ball, that's where things got really bad. Iowa just broke free through that defense. Um, You know, they had like, I don't even remember what the explosive play total was, but they had like a handful all season. And then got three right off the bat to just turn the game into a blowout right away. Um, After the game, Mark Banker calls, you know, says Iowa must be having bloodbath practices. And that didn't sit well with the Nebraska fans saying, well, why isn't Nebraska having those types of practices? And so that, like you said, um, that just created a lot of... uh, you know, when Mike Riley called, it, it was like Banker was calling out Riley in that in that respect because yeah. he didn't. It was a call out to Riley, and that upset Eichhorst, that upset Riley, and that upset Billy Devaney. I can tell you that firsthand that all of those guys were very upset. Banker did that after that game, and so you look at the impact that had. I mean, that essentially forced the change of the defense, and they had the complete upheaval to go to the three four under Bob Diaco, and of course, we all know how that played out since. Yeah, it's just been kind of completely. Everything's come completely unraveled since that point in time and um you know and and I think that some of it too is is got to be mental because coming into this this forced rivalry with Iowa I mean I think a lot of Nebraska fans a lot of Nebraska players didn't really think it was a rivalry and but Iowa sure did <clears throat> and since that time Iowa's basically done nothing but hand Nebraska a nice old serving of defeat uh, you know pretty much every time they match up and and it, and a handful of them have been kind of ugly so um you know I almost wonder if there's a mental thing here with Iowa as well yeah and this will be um the Black Friday thing's going away here in the next couple of years and I I feel like this thing has just started to get going unfortunately that's what stinks about losing this because I felt like both coaches and fan braces embraced it but the conference officials and and the networks have different thoughts on how they want to treat this uh, week 13 game and, and rotate it around the West and not protect it as a week 13 rivalry. So, you know, it it will be interesting to see how this is going forward. Um, But I I felt like this rivalry started when Icorse called out Iowa after they fired Bo Pelini and basically said beating Iowa had nothing to do, uh, would have no impact on the decision of keeping Bo Pelini and um, they're based on where their program was at. And that is what really upset the Ferences, Kirk and Brian. 
and 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 their program took off from that moment. Actually, they got going, and um, and then Nebraska almost took a step back after Icors fired Pelini and made those comments. Yeah, I mean the the from the fan base perspective, I think the rivalry was there just from an annoyance. You know, people that you know, especially uh, in Eastern Nebraska, that interact with a lot of Iowa fans. You know, they're just kind of annoyed by uh, you know Iowa fans chirping, and then especially after they won a couple games, you know, it was kind of one of those deals like just. You know, let's hurry up and beat these guys so I don't have to hear about it. But then when Iowa continued to win, you know, winning three of the past four, and the only win Nebraska had was a dramatic, uh, improbable comeback in Iowa City. Uh, I mean, that didn't obviously that's really kind of sparked things from a, a football standpoint. The fact that you know, um, yeah, that was the one thing that was really lacking was you know Nebraska had dominated Iowa for so long, and now uh, Iowa owns Nebraska. And their point. quarterback play got a lot better. I mean, think about who was that kid, Nate? That two star they started when Nebraska beat him. I mean. Nebraska offered that kid too. It's like a late guy, um, in-state Iowa kid from like a small town. You remember that guy? Uh, I'm drawing a blank on, on that one. But they that they're You're not talking not Rudock, but uh, no, the guy before um, their their quarterback play was pitiful, and then yeah. then it got. I mean, Bethard and and Stanley and the guys they have now, I think, have totally changed their 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 type of team and what they are. Yeah, I mean their their quarterback play has has gone from completely atrocious to at least serviceable and and actually Nathan Stanley this year has had a really good year when you look at his efficiency ratings and and uh you know I think he's he's got to be towards the top in terms of touchdown to to interception ratio in, in the conference. So uh that's definitely one area where Iowa's really improved while Nebraska, uh, you know, hasn't necessarily you know improved a whole lot from top to bottom. Well, here's another element too: the amount of Nebraska kids I was getting and doing ex- extremely well. I mean, obviously you had the Drew Watt, you had the Nathan Budgeta, now you have a Noah Fant who's emerging as one of the better tight ends in the Big Ten Conference. And so, I mean, that's another element that I think is fueling this rivalry. That, um, again, to your point, Sean, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to all of a sudden abandon this, especially when it's just now starting to get going. Well, we're going to get you ready for that game and everything uh, going into. Friday as we'll talk offensive storylines and, and what to watch and what to make out of the fourth quarter at Penn State. That's all next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We're just a team, and we, we focus on what's going on with us. And Coach Riley is our coach. He's our leader. And I play for him, and I play for this coaching staff. And you know nothing else really matters to me right now except for that. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus as we get you ready for Nebraska-Iowa, the segment of the show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill. It is a great place to watch football here this weekend, not only on Black Friday, uh, but on Saturday. Tons of great rivalry games, including Auburn-Alabama, and many more will be on um, at any of the seven Omaha and Lincoln Tanners locations. So get on in and get out of the house, watch some football um, at Tanner's. But uh, speaking of Tanner, we just heard from quarterback Tanner Lee um, as he talked about kind of what the focus level is. And, Robin, we were both at State College this weekend, um, and, you know, it's really hard what to make out of that second half. I mean, you can be glass half empty, glass half full, but the reality of that is Penn State had their starters out um, for the entire fourth quarter. Nebraska executed some great football there, but it, it was kind of meaningless football. But you like the fact that they didn't quit. Um, and Tanner Lee, if anything, put on some pretty good tape that the NFL scouts are going to like. Yeah. So as far as the, the Penn State side is concerned, uh, you know, there obviously was 
a lot to be made of that. The fact they did pull their quarters or starters um, early in the fourth quarter, and coincidentally, that's when the rally came. But um, I heard in the press box that Penn State writers were saying that this was a game James Franklin wanted to make a statement on, and that if he could have put up seventy points, you know, he was going to do it. So uh, I don't think this was something where you know Penn State was just being nice and called the dogs off. I think they were still trying to um, obviously have that be a convincing uh, final victory. Uh, and Nebraska just ended up playing a little bit better than they expected. So I, I think you have to give Nebraska some credit for that rally, albeit far too little, far too late. But um, yeah, as far as Tanner's concerned, I mean, outside of that second quarter, I thought he actually played pretty well. I mean, he had a decent first quarter uh, and then really came on the second half um, and was kind of lights out, making some clutch passes um, to where, you know, I think there was one point where like you know, Penn State's up by, you know, 28 30 points or something like that. And they convert Nebraska converts first down uh, and Penn state fans are like yelling at Penn state's defense. Come on, get a stop. And so, you know, obviously there was, you know, a few, oh, they're getting pretty fired. Yeah, up. There, there, there was some frustration. I think that uh, all of a sudden uh, Penn state couldn't <laughs> do much of anything to <laughs> stop the Nebraska. onside kick too. Oh I mean, yeah. They're, like, they're mad about like that. Nebraska executed that onside kick till I, I mean, that was like the best that onside kick I've ever seen Nebraska have in the 20 years of covering games I've been to. Yeah. DeMornay jumping in front of their big tight end. Yeah. They acted like they didn't even know what happened. Like, where'd that guy come from? <laughs> like, he was just sitting there waiting to, to receive the ball, and DeMornay jumped yeah. right in front I'm of like, him. I'm like, I was like asking myself, did that go 10 yards? I, I didn't even, because it, it was It wasn't so, even close. It, it was I mean, like it was, so easy that yeah. I'm like, oh, Nebraska had to like be offsides or something. Yeah, no, that was executed perfectly. I I mean, I think you have to, you have to give credit for the fight, um, you know, because it got so ugly there. Especially, you know, in that first half, that I think Nebraska, if they wanted to, they could have just thrown it in. Uh, but obviously, obviously, they kept fighting. Uh, but like you said, Rob, it was too much, you know, too little, too late, I guess, uh, to to really make a huge difference. At the end of the day, I think that game was not nearly as close as what the final score kind of said. Well, and in that second quarter, they went what like six straight three and outs. Um, you're not going to yep. beat anyone doing that. And it was they couldn't run the ball. Um, you know, as good as Tanner was in the second half, he was not accurate at all during that stretch. I mean, low passes, uh, just missing guys that were open. Receivers weren't running deep enough routes. I mean, it was just bad offense across the board. And, you know, it just goes back to the story of the season and the inconsistency of this team, especially this offense. They can look so good at some point, and then they can look so bad within the very same game. Five straight three now. It's kind of a microcosm of just uh, how frustrating this season has been. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett. And Nate Klaus, a segment brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill, five locations in Omaha, two in Lincoln. And as you look forward now to this Iowa game, it's so hard to read what's going to happen. We know it's going to be beautiful conditions. It's going to be far and away the warmest weather we've probably ever seen for a Black Friday game in Lincoln. They're talking 70 degrees. So if if you're in Nebraska, that's good because that's going to allow Tanner Lee to have the, the ability to throw. It's not going to be like two years ago when Tommy Armstrong was trying to throw in 15-degree weather and it just wasn't working at all. Um, so that part of it's good. But the lack of running game it ha- has just been, you know, it, it's been really the story of the season for the offense and and the problem with everything. And, you know, the Trey Bryan injury or the lack of blocking, whatever it is, I don't know. Uh, but Nebraska has to figure out a way to run the ball more. Just had some kind of presence with the run this week. Yeah, I mean, it clearly wasn't there against Penn State. Um, and then you add in the fact that Divino Zigbo sprained his ankle in that game. 
and he's questionable at best. And on a short week, uh, I wouldn't hold my breath on on his status. So uh, that leaves you know Mikael Wilbon, who you know has give me Jalen Bradley. Been okay, yeah, yeah Jalen Bradley finally got to work in a little bit. You know when J.D. Spielman went out with that shoulder injury, he took over as the kick returner and looked pretty dynamic in that role too. So I mean, I think that that's definitely encouraging. That the more he gets the ball in his hands, the better and better he looks. So this could be a game, you know, especially with the Zigba out and the need to run the football, uh, where Jalen Bradley finally uh, gets a lion's share of the workload there. Well, I'd like to see that because I mean, for using a guy's redshirt year or for playing him as a true freshman, he really hasn't gotten nearly the the amount of opportunities that I thought that he was going to get early on. And that ankle injury had something to do with it. Because yeah. that Purdue game, I mean, he had a, quite a bit of touches and was a pretty big factor and then sprains his ankle, misses the next two games. Mm-hmm. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Wash at Nate Class as we get you ready for Iowa. And some records could go down, guys. Um, both Stanley Morgan and J.D. Spielman legitimately have a shot to break the Johnny Rogers receiving yards record. Morgan has a better chance. Obviously, he just needs basically about two catches and some change to get it. Um, you know, and he could be the first 1,000-yard receiver in school history, and he's done it in only it'll be 11 games. He missed one game um, with an injury against Rutgers. Otherwise, he'd have the record probably by this point. Uh, you'll have Tyler Hoppus needs just two more to tie Mike McNeil for all-time tight end receptions. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, if I see Johnny up in the press box, I might uh, give him a hard time saying he's probably hoping that the, his records hold because you think about Kenny Bell's been close to it. Uh, Maurice, you have some great receivers here. Nate Kenny Swift. Nate Swift, Maurice Purify, Jordan Westerkamp. Um, they have not been able to get that record. And this might be the guy that has the best chance to do it. Well, and the best part about it too is, you know, Stanley, if he does it, will have done it in 11 games. And so they're on an even playing field there. You know, there's a lot of times the excuse that guys today play so many more games you know, especially if you're playing in a conference championship in a bowl game, that it's kind of unfair to compare eras. But this is 11 games versus 11 games um, with Johnny Rogers and Stanley Morgan. And right now, Stanley's sitting at, uh, what does he have? Uh, so he has, he's 30 yards shy of Rogers' record, which is at 942. And right now he's coming in the game averaging 91.2 yards per game. So if he goes par for the course, he's going to smash that record and have a legitimate run uh, at pushing for that 1,000-yard year, which would be exceptional considering um, this is a record that's stood for 45 years now. Yeah, that, that's what the record that I think would be pretty pretty neat to see go down is the 1,000-yard receiving mark because um, you know we've talked about it every year for the last probably five or six years, I feel like, is, is this going to be the year where that, that someone goes over 1,000, you know, and um, and we mentioned all those wide receivers that we thought probably would have a good chance at breaking Johnny's record and breaking that thousand yard mark, and uh, to have Stanley potentially do it in a year that that's obviously been a tough year uh, for for everyone, um, and to do it as a junior with the, with the possibility of coming back, I think um, you know I think that's something that uh, would be neat to see. And what's different, guys, about this as we wrap it up is the weather. I think every year in November, there's always been that one or two games where you just can't throw the ball for more than 100 and some yards where the weather uh, granite state college was not ideal but it was good enough to throw there wasn't much wind but there just hasn't been that just awful big 10 weather day that basically completely and that's probably good news for nebraska takes away your passing game yeah and so you know obviously the weather didn't impact Nebraska's ability to throw the ball against Penn State but um, with their inability to run they're going to have to throw it and I think Stanley's going to have a lot of opportunities all right we'll come back and we'll talk about defense and Bob Diaco and it could be the final time we talk about a Bob Diaco defense and uh, we'll talk about that next here you're listening to the Husker Online Show 
This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. The seniors would be able to end their career on, on a high note and winning. You know, we haven't had a great record here at home this season, and just to be able to top it off with a win um, against a good team like Iowa, um, it'd be it'd be something special. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was one of Nebraska's 22 seniors, kicker Drew Brown, with his thoughts on kind of this year. And for Drew, it, it you know you think about the riot a guy like that's been through. Um, this you know the coaching change after his freshman year. Um, you know, then the, the losing Sam Fultz um, last year and how he's overcome that. Um, I actually, you know, we did the senior awards and I voted for Drew Brown. My two votes were Chris Weber and Drew Brown um, for the Chamberlain and the Novak awards. Um, because I, I feel, the one I voted for Brown is the one, the guy that's overcome a lot. And I, I feel like a guy like Drew, you know, battling through what he's gone through, losing such a close friend and, and mentor, um, and, and Sam and, and never really missing a beat. I mean, he, he ha- has, you know, handled this and gone through this about as strong as you, you possibly could. Yeah, he's been the model of consistency, both on the field and off of it. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, there was probably not a single player on the team more directly impacted uh, by that Sam Fultz tragedy than Drew Brown. I mean, they were best friends. Um, and, you know, in fact, uh, on Monday, he was still wearing a chain with number 27 on it. So, I mean, clearly, um, you know, that was a, a significant um, situation in his life that he had to overcome right off the bat. And, you know, to not only um, handle that as a person, but, you know, succeed the way he he has as a football player, um, you know, that's that's a real testament to just the character and, you know, just resolve that Drew Brown has. And, uh, you know, talk about records earlier. I mean, he's in line to be up there with uh, his brother, Chris, as one of the all-time most productive kickers in school history. So uh, definitely a tip of the hat to him and the way he's handled himself uh, every day over the last four years. Well, and, and even beyond the, the Fultz thing is is that he's had several special teams coaches now. And and as a kicker, you know, they're, they're kind of different <laughs> – <laughs> different creatures you don't want to tinker with too much or or put too much in their heads and and that when you have a handful of different special teams coaches I think it would have been easy for him to to maybe uh, become flustered or, or to have some you know uh, kind of have a, a hitch in his giddy up a little bit so to speak but he's like you said he's, he's been nothing but consistent in Nebraska you're listening here to the Husker Online show as we now talk some defensive storylines as we get you ready for Black Friday Nebraska Iowa 3 p.m. on Fox Sports 1 I feel like Nebraska is the Notre Dame of Fox Sports 1. They're on that channel so much. I think it's our sixth game of the year. Nebraska will play on Fox Sports 1 um, against Iowa. But you look at the challenges this week, to me it's just playing fundamental football. I I think Bob Diaco is going to have a pretty good idea of what Iowa does from a concept standpoint. It really hasn't changed much from when Bob Diaco played. They play with tight ends, fullbacks, physical football, it will be about can Nebraska physically match up up front against the Hawkeyes um, and slow down Akram Wadley. Um, can they handle the play action that Nathan Stanley brings and his ability to kind of create out of the pocket? Um, this will be, I think, a better matchup for Nebraska than, say, Penn State in a lot of ways because they just don't have a Saquon Barkley and a, and a, Ch- and a Trace McSorley out there. Yeah, I mean, there's no secret what I was going to do. Um, they're going to line up and run power football right at you until you show you can stop it. But the question is, will Nebraska be able to do anything about it? And right now, I don't feel good about or them having any chance to slow Iowa down. I mean, they have not stopped the run in any shape or form 
uh, essentially since the Wisconsin game. And so, I mean, the, the, they don't leave you with any reason to believe that that's going to be um, a good matchup for them. In fact, uh, Chris Weber um, you know, on Monday said, you know, we know what Iowa's going to do. They're going to run the ball. And why wouldn't they when you look at what we've done on defense the past few games? So, I mean, this is going to be a real test of just Nebraska's defense's will. Uh, can you answer the call physically and, men- and emotionally uh, to go up there and just butt heads with a very physical offense for four full quarters uh, and you know try to slow this thing down? Because they're not going to come at you with any gimmicks. They're not going to try and trick you. Uh, they're going to come at you and just try to outwill you um, for a full you know full game. Yeah, but the thing that I'm looking forward is what Iowa team shows up. Is it going to be the Iowa team that that took Ohio State to the woodshed, or is it going to be the team that that just got you know beat at home against Purdue? Um, How do you do that, by the I, way? I have no idea, and that's the thing with this Iowa team. I can't put my finger on on these guys, like because they, they've been all over the map. They have they've looked unbelievably good. I mean, they took Urban Meyer basically to a Council Bluffs bar fight yeah. and whooped him into the ground, and then. <laughs> they lose to Purdue. I mean, sure. how how do you do that? And they almost they probably should have lost the Iowa State game. They they didn't look very good against Illinois. I mean, it's it's odd. I mean, this is a weird team. So so what team is going to show up in in Lincoln? Um, and then what Husker team? I guess is going to going to show up too. Uh, I mean, so there's a lot of variables here that that don't make me feel like this is going to be a, you know a complete one sided event either way. I think for Nebraska, and I know we're talking trying to talk defense, but it's really going to be all about Tanner Lee, and and if he can hit on some of those throws, because uh, to me, I think from an arm strength standpoint, he'll be as good as anybody Iowa's faced. And and if you give Lee the time and the balance, you know he he can do some great things. And when we've seen it now, um, and this to me, this with the weather the way it's going to be, it's set up for him to have a big day. But he needs some support. He needs some help from the defense. He needs a running game. And if that all shows up at least at some minor level, I'm not even talking about like a middle level, just give it a minor level and it could look a lot different. Yeah, I mean, Iowa doesn't do anything overly impressive on on, uh, defense. I mean, they're no higher than uh, eighth or ninth in rushing defense, pass defense, or total defense. Um, You know, they don't give up a lot of points. That's the issue, though. So I think it's going to be not settling for field goals, not turning the ball over, and finishing drives with touchdowns is also going to decide this thing for nebraska yeah that, that red zone of nebraska which has been very bad yeah it's been just terrible so uh and staying away from josh jackson the the corner for iowa um you know I, and i i think that uh you know there's a handful of you know obviously stopping noah fant in the run game akram wadley of iowa's too yeah uh going into this game iowa ranks 51st third nationally, sixth in the Big Ten in red zone defense. Nebraska on red zone offense ranks 106th nationally and 12th in the Big Ten. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we kind of wrap up this segment and discussion um, about Nebraska and Iowa. Let's talk a little Bob Diaco. And, I mean, big picture, this probably will be his last game at Nebraska. He basically is going to walk out of Nebraska with, what, $1.7 million in less than one basically 12 games of coaching um it just hasn't worked i don't know i don't know if there's one reason um if if it was ever going to work or if mark banker would have stayed it would have looked a lot better um but it's hard to put your finger on why this hasn't worked other than he just hasn't been a good fit he lost bobby elliott um during you know the spring and summer and that was a big part of it it doesn't have the right pieces to make it go, uh, but it, we'll never really know if it could have ever worked. But the bottom line is, it hasn't worked. Yeah, I mean, you can 
question all you want that if you gave it a few more years, would it change? The fact is that this has been about as bad a debut as any defensive coordinator could possibly have. I mean, Nebraska is one of the worst defenses in college football, and they seemingly get worse every single week. So that in itself says everything you need to know. And what I thought was interesting was after that Penn State game, talking with Bob Diaco, um, you know, he was made some, you know, he wasn't as weird as he has been, uh, but he made some comments just talking about how Nebraska is, you know, going to be great again uh, down the road, you know, and he referred to Nebraska as it and they, not we. So he sounds like a guy that is basically uh, already accepting the fact that he's basically got one more game left and then he's out of here. Yeah, I mean, I think he's, if you're a realist of any <laughs> of any sort, you you know that your job is uh, is pretty much over over with here. All right, when we come back, we've got lots of questions in the mailbag. David Eichold will join us. We'll take those next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, you know, we've been through we've been through a lot together. You know, a coaching change, um, you know, Sam's death. Um, but we've we've stayed together, we've we've bonded. Um, it hasn't changed how guys have worked um, each week. You know, that just speaks to the guys that we have, the senior class that we have. Um, you know, I'm, I'm proud to know them. I'm, I'm proud to, to have played with them. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was senior linebacker Chris Weber. He'll be one of 22 seniors Nebraska will honor on Friday as there will be no bowl game for Nebraska, um, minus some kind of five and seven, seven drama scenario that none of us are really envisioning right now. Um, but uh, as we get into it, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and uh, we bring in not Matt Reynolds today. It's David Eichold on the mailbag as we got lots of questions here. It's uh, earlier in the week show because of Black Friday, uh, but still plenty to talk about on the mailbag. What do you have for us? You guys have been around the football players and teams a lot. So do we have a talent issue on the offensive line or just a unit that has not developed physically or technically? I think when you look at it, it's a number of things. Um I mean, I start with the lack of juniors and seniors a year ago. Um, when you just look at the the scholarship juniors and seniors that Mike Cavanaugh had to work with starting in 2016, it was decimated. That's probably where they needed to get a transfer or a junior college guy in there to help, and they didn't. They really banked on David Neville kind of being the answer. And, and David Neville has only started you know a handful of games in two years and I think that has set so many things back when you look at not having him available on top of the fact that Nick Gates has regressed so much since his freshman year. You think about Nick Gates' freshman year. He fair and square beat out Zach Stirrup, who is now on the 53-man roster of the Miami Dolphins. Um, and I, I think we could all safely say Nick Gates is a long ways away from being on a 53-NFL-man roster. Yeah, the recruiting rankings suggest that it shouldn't be a talent issue, but uh, for whatever reason, uh, that – potential hasn't planned out. Uh, I mean, like you said, Nick Gates has regressed. Gerald Foster uh, really doesn't seem to be getting any better. Obviously, they have the issues at center um, with, you know, finally Michael Decker coming into form and then he gets hurt. And then obviously the issues on the right side of the offensive line go without saying. And so, um, I mean, just and then other misses, you know, like a Jalen Barnett, you know, I mean, guys that were supposed to be uh, fixtures on this offensive line that can't even get on the field. Um, so, I mean, I think it's partly recruiting misses and then partly a lack of development. Because, Culture. Because, yeah, like you said, guys, you know, for whatever reason, that they, they aren't getting better uh, even years into the program. 
Yeah, I, I think that there's some good young talent on that offensive line, but um, you know, going after a junior college offensive tackle early on would have, I think, would have really, really helped uh, here, and uh, maybe given Kavanaugh a little bit of flexibility uh, if he were open to, to maybe moving some guys around or, or doing, you know, some trying out some different lineups. But uh, um, I think at the end of the day, really, regardless of what position you look at it, there's a mixture of things why it didn't necessarily work out. If Mike Riley is truly done and Scott Frost doesn't come home, who should get a look and who are the top backups in the top desk drawer? You know, that is, I wish I knew. I mean, I, if I knew a janitor up there, I'd, I'd pay him a hundred bucks to, to pull that drawer open and let me know what's in there. But um, that's where Bill Moose, that's where you got to trust this guy. Um, he is, this is not his first rodeo. He has been through so many of these hires where Sean Eichhorst had only been through really one major hire, and that was Jim Laranega at Miami for basketball. Um, so I think the experience factor of a guy like Moose, um, what direction they go, I mean, you, you can go so many ways um, with this hire, uh, but I, I feel like people want that connection to the program somehow, somebody that gets what it takes to win here. Um, and that's why Frost makes a lot of sense because he's really the only guy that would unify the former players at Mass. And I don't know, you know, it, it would have to be somebody pretty special um, to, to, to be at that level. Yeah, and really outside of Frost, the only other guy that you could say has those or at least close to that level of connection is Craig Bowl. I don't know how excited anybody's going to get about that. So, um, I mean, there's obvious candidates, you know, guys like Dan Mullen, um, you know, obviously Chip Mike Kelly. Le Mike Leach is not coming here. Yeah, Chip Kelly, I think, has kind of moved on. Sounds like, you know, Florida and UCLA are the teams to beat there. Uh, I'm not even considering... Les Miles is in that conversation. Matt Campbell at Iowa State. Matt that's, Campbell, yeah. I mean, that's another name. So, I mean, there's a lot of names that are on everybody's hot Dave, list. Dave right Doreen now. at North Carolina State. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, you could go down the list and just throw names and see what sticks. But, like you said, Sean, the only guy that has any sort of idea of who potential candidates are going to be uh, are a guy that nobody really knows about in Bill Moose. And I think you have to to kind of get an idea of what might happen next. You have to look back at what someone's done in the past. And, and when Bill Moose hired Mike Leach, that was completely out of left field. Like I don't, I don't think at that time, I don't think there was anybody out there that was predicting that Mike Leach was on the short list to get that Washington State job. So, you know, theoretically, outside of Scott Frost, I, you know, I, I would would not be surprised if if Bill Moose did that again. If if he went out completely out of left field and hired somebody that wasn't necessarily a no brainer to be on the short list. Like what about Brett Bielema? Like his situation with Jeff Long being removed at Arkansas, his time is narrow, but I just feel like the image of Bielema has taken such a dive and in his winning has obviously not been there. He gets the Big 10. I mean, there's a theory out there that Bielema will just take this year off. And then Illinois will fire Lovey Smith, and Bielema could be the head coach at Illinois for say 2019. Yeah, man, I don't know. I, I just I don't think Nebraska would necessarily culturally be a good fit for Brett Bielema because, like you said, there's there's a lot of baggage there. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't see that. No, I agree. I, I, but he he's won in this division. That's yeah. what's intriguing. Yeah, to he's me. familiar with it. That's for sure. But there's just something about the image and what he brings that I just don't know if people would really embrace here. Yeah, sure make that Wisconsin game fun, though. All right, what do you got next for us, Mr. Eichel? Who's going to have a big senior day, big senior uh, send-off? Um, Tanner Lee. No, he's not a senior. but <laughs> <laughs> um, You know, it's, it's an interesting senior class. I think Chris Weber um, getting to 100 tackles. He's got 88. That's something to watch. He wants this one bad. Iowa's going to run a lot, so there will be a lot of tackle opportunities 
Tyler Hoppus could break the tight end record for receptions. He needs three more to break Mike McNeil's record of 32. Um, but, yeah, you look at this senior class, there just aren't a lot of, like, front-line names. Well, you go back all the way to 2014. One of the best games of DeMornay Pearsonell's career uh, was that Iowa game. Uh, and so if there was ever a time for him to finally have his breakout senior year game, this would be it. And, you know, he, he said during his press conference on Monday that, uh, you know, he just hopes Iowa at least kicks a couple balls to him so he gets a chance to to maybe run one more back. But, uh, I mean, I guess, like you said, Sean, there's not a lot of names to choose from, but if anybody could have a big game and really change the outcome of this thing, it would be DeMornay in my mind. Yeah, I'd have to go with DeMornay too. Um, and then, you know, and then there's some kind of some superlatives there with, with Weber getting and uh, Hoppus possibly breaking some records or getting to some benchmarks there. So that would be nice. But as far as a senior that could have a game-breaking uh, performance, it would have to be DeMornay in my mind. Should Tanner Lee go pro, and what do you think his stock will be? I, it's going to be interesting because if they switch coaches, which most of us think they are going to, and say it's Scott Frost, I mean, Tanner is not necessarily the right kind of guy for that system. So I, his options are going to be interesting because he could technically just go pro, but this is such a loaded year um, with Josh Allen and Rosen and Darnold and you know Mason Rudolph and, and, and all these guys, um, Luke Falk at Washington State. Um, you know, it's a year where there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks drafted, as many as we've seen in a long time, they're saying. Um, so would, would he be better served to wait that out a year and, 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 and be the guy the next year? But would he be able to really help his stock at Nebraska, or would it be better for him to, to weigh his options and be a grad transfer? Because I think with Mike Riley and Danny Langsdorf left here, there would be a lot of people picking their brain about him being a potential grad transfer. Yeah, I don't see any value in him coming back for another year, regardless of who the coach is. I mean, he will be, if he comes back, a six-year senior that's going to be, what, 24 years old? Uh, the clock's ticking a little bit there. I mean, obviously quarterbacks play to their 45 now, apparently, but uh, you know, he's got to get this thing rolling. And I think that with the way he's been able to end this season – uh, his numbers match up almost identically with Sam Darnold and with Josh Rosen. Uh, I mean, both in interceptions and touchdowns. So, I mean, uh, that's not going to be anything that's going to sway uh, potential NFL scouts. And keep in mind, even going into this year, he was very much already on the radar of you know, Although N scouts NFL are analysts and NFL scouts and people at the Senior Bowl. So, I mean, to me, he's, he's already uh, a commodity uh, for NFL GMs and scouts. And so, I mean, I, I don't know. I think that if you come back, you're really risking a lot with the unknowns of your coaching staff. And then to go in and try and learn, you know, your third different offense in, you know, six years. I mean, that, that's probably not a very beneficial situation. All right, we're up against it here. What do you got, David? One quick one. Coaching ability aside, who has been your favorite coach to shoot the breeze with? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I mean, you can't argue Mike Riley because Mike Riley is awesome. Um, I really enjoy John Perella. Um, he's so different um, when he's not like doing the interview stuff. So um, top to bottom, a lot of good guys on this coaching staff. But you have to start with Mike Riley and, and just how great he is to deal with and talk to at a personal level. Yeah, and then conversely, I think a guy like Keith Williams is the same, whether whether he's got a mic in his face and a camera in his face or, or if he's off the field uh, too. So, I mean, he's, he's another great guy to be able to, to kind of shoot the breeze with, uh, you know, off the field. My vote's Danny Langsdorf, just, That's because, your boy. just because of our Giants connection. He's, he's the one guy that knows my pain. All right, David. Well, I uh, hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, when we come back here on the show, we're going to wrap things up, and we'll talk some recruiting and kind of what's going on up at Nebraska as a 
potential change like this is in the in the works. We'll discuss all that next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the program, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we wrap things up with some Husker recruiting talk and not a lot of just recruiting that you can talk about right now as we everybody knows what's going on this week and everybody has a pretty good idea what Saturday is going to bring, maybe Sunday for Nebraska as uh, they look at things, but the reality, Nate, as, as we look at things for Nebraska is Sunday is when every other coaching staff in America will be out on the road. Can they be in living room Sunday or is it Monday? I believe they, they can hit the road Sunday. So Sunday night is, is, is the time where a lot of coaches are going to be out um, in living rooms. So Sunday, November 26th, signing day is December 20th. That's a Wednesday, but I believe Sunday of that week is the last day. So essentially, you've got three weeks on the road that you can use. And depending on how things play out, Nebraska may have three. They may have two. Um, you know, and and if you know if, if you're Nebraska right now, it's an interesting situation because there's a lot of guys up there that probably know they're not going to have a job, but there are some guys up in that office that could fight and show their worth and really guide potentially a new coaching staff through this and salvage a recruiting class. And, you know, you've been a part of this. You worked with the Polini staff and Solages and Callahan staffs. So you know what these types of transitions are like because you've seen three of them uh, before your very eyes go on at Nebraska. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a really unique situation. It's kind of it's an odd um, feeling because you're as you're watching, you know, some coaches clear out their offices and everything, and um, you've got you've got some people um, or the the head coach that's there, um, and he's trying to get everything ready to go. And and I mean, all you can do is is remember who you work for, and you work for the University of Nebraska at that point, and so. Um, and your job is to basically be Johnny on the spot for the new coach and, and have have all the right answers uh, when, when he's needing to be filled in on all on everything that's going on in terms of how many commits do we have, who, who are they, where are they from, you know, what are their stories, uh, how many spots do we have less, left in this recruiting class, what's our recruiting board look like, um, so on and so forth. I mean, uh, e- even the current personnel, I mean, um, you know, when I was going through that, um, you know, I was... Uh, you know, I was a didn't have a family, so I would be up there. I remember, especially with Bill Callahan, um, I would be up in the offices with Bill Callahan until one or two o'clock in the morning, going through all sorts of stuff, you know, because he wanted to get as much information on the team and on the recruits and everything exactly where we were at um, as possible. And uh, and that's kind of, I mean, that's I was able to prove my worth, and and that's how I kind of was able to to stick on through that transition time. So if you're like a Todd McShane. Um Andy Vaughn, uh, Kenny Wilhite, somebody in, in that type of role. I mean, yeah, you can – I mean, uh, our friend Scotty Johnson, I mean, he's been able – he proved uh, his worth and, has, has, you know, was able to move on and get jobs. Uh, Aaron Carney, you know, led to Notre Dame uh, from Nebraska. But, yeah, guys can really show their worth in these situations. And a lot of times their salaries aren't near what assistant coaches are, but their value is so important that 
a new coach will respect that and, and find a spot for a guy like that. Yeah, there's no there's no question about it. And um, and you have to act fast. I mean, time is of the essence. And so I think, um, you know, for these guys, if if they are wanting to stick around, I, I think that what you'll see is they'll be very prepared um, and, and have a plan of attack going forward to to act because of, you know, the early signing period that's coming up um, and, and everything that's going to be needing to happen uh, very, very fast after a change is made. You're listening here to the Husker Online <laughs> Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Nate, one of my favorite uh, staff firing stories I think you shared with me was a long time ago when um, uh, the, the Solich staff was fired and Marvin Sanders was moving out and then Phil Elmashian was moving in. And then uh, what was it, four years later, El Machine was moving out, and then you had Marvin Sanders moving back into yep. that same office. Yeah, and and Elmo would um, he just kept coming to work every day. <laughs> uh, he would just show up every day, and, and I mean, everyone else from that staff basically stopped coming to work. Uh, but he just kept going to work every day, and we'd go to his office and just kind of close his door. And I'm not sure exactly what he was doing in there all the time. I mean, he was always watching film or breaking something down. Or so this was in December after Callahan was fired. Yeah. Yep, and uh, he just kept he just kept coming to work every day, every morning, and and then you know over the, he'd go get lunch and get a workout in, and then come back and he must have not wanted to see his wife all day. Well, or I, something. Don't, I don't know, but uh, um, I mean he was just a kind of a creature of habit, and and so he just kept doing that. And finally, I think uh, I think Jeff Jamrog had a conversation with him, and, <laughs> and they basically <laughs> let him know that hey, we're going to need your office, and uh, you know you're you're no longer employed here type of deal. And, uh, and then he stopped coming, but yeah, for, I mean, it's always really tricky, um, you know, during that transition period where you've got coaches that are coming, you know, that are leaving and then new coaches that are coming in. And, um, and like I said earlier, you, you just have to remember that you work for the university of Nebraska when you're in that situation and that, yeah, you feel bad for the coaches that you had been working with, uh, for however many years, but you also need to, you know, need to get to know the new coaches and get them up to speed on everything. So, uh, that's, I mean, that's one of the, it's kind of the tricky part of, of that job and being in, in, kind of involved in with all that stuff. And I'll tell you the one thing, Nate, uh, I never really agreed with when this Mike Riley, Riley thing went down is they literally exterminated the whole thing. Like they, they almost went out of their way to say, we're not going to keep anybody from the Polini regime. We don't care. They're all tied to him. And they ended up keeping, I think, five people. But of those five that were offered jobs, two left immediately, Kyle Bray and Charlton Warren. So really, Willie Jones, Kenny Wilhite, Willie Jones is an assistant strength coach. And then Max, uh, help me on the last name, the GA um, that stayed, the defensive line GA, were the only three guys oh. that stayed around um, on that transition, which, yep. um, you know, I, I think that made it, pretty tough on say like a Ryan Gunderson uh, or, or some of those guys not having, you know, anybody left on board. I mean, cause clearly like our friend, Aaron Carney would have been a guy an asset. He's now running Notre Dame's recruiting. So he definitely could have helped Nebraska um, through that, that process uh, with Mike Riley at the very, very beginning. But the previous AD Sean Eichhorst, I believe said, we don't want any of these guys. We're going to start completely fresh and have nobody up there with really any knowledge of Nebraska. And I, I think that puts you behind the eight ball. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, that, that makes it, that makes a transition not go nearly as smooth as what it could go. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times what you'll see is, is even, you know, the, you'll see a new staff kind of 
kind of latch on to some of those administrative people, you know, whether it be recruiting staff or otherwise, and use those guys for uh, a handful of months before, you know, kind of dismissing them, um, you know, and, and I don't necessarily agree with that, but that's, it's part of, it comes with part of the territory, I guess. But uh, I, I think they did use Aaron Carney a little bit, uh, but, but not nearly as much as. They kept it separate though. It was yeah. like, you're on the second floor and the new staff is going to work on the third floor. Yeah, that was really odd too. And they had a conference room, you know, that they they had the the new staff in, and they could not access the offices until after the holiday bowl, if I remember correctly. Yep. Yeah, and that was that was really strange. I remember talking with some of the the previous coaches, and and how how weird it kind of was that they knew that that everyone who was taking their jobs were basically just sitting upstairs on the third floor waiting. And their team didn't make a bowl game. <laughs> yeah, and their team didn't make a bowl game, and they were just kind of waiting waiting it out um, until uh, after the bowl game to come downstairs and kind of kick them out of their offices. Yeah, that was bizarre when you think about it, like that the new staff was at the bowl practices watching the team practice in December um, kind of in the cat in the Eiffel Tower above the field. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that was that was uh, bizarre times because you know Nebraska just finished a nine and three year that year. They were eight and one going into Wisconsin and um, you know you even heard some players this week say they never thought Pelini was even getting fired after they beat Iowa. So it's been interesting, man. We've seen a lot, Nate, um, over our time together that we've known each other, and um, it's going to get more interesting yeah. here after the weekend. Another chapter is probably about ready to, to start here. So um, there, I'm sure there'll be plenty of more stories and kind of you know unique situations that pop up with this latest one. Well, make sure you stay on Husker Online because if anything does happen after Friday's game, we are going to have complete wall-to-wall coverage of all the news and all the action that goes on as it could happen pretty quick. Things can move pretty quick. Uh, so everybody enjoy their Thanksgiving, but be ready to go this weekend as uh, more than likely uh, we're going to have a lot of news coming out of Lincoln. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.